Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 237. Now, when I first set this podcast up, I think I said in the very first episode, I wanted to speak to people at all different levels of the game, in different roles, anyone that has an impact um, on performance on the pitch. And it's been great speaking to people in the Premier League and Champions League clubs and all these amazing practitioners at different levels. But it's also amazing to hear from practitioners in the non-league. And that's exactly what this episode is about today. So this episode is with the sports scientist at Ascot United, Stuart Britton. Stuart's been to a number of our networking events before, and it was great to have him on the podcast. These episodes, I know that are very relatable to a lot of different coaches, whether you are working part-time at an amateur club or a semi-professional club starting out in your career, whether it's something you're doing alongside a main role. There's a lot of people in similar situations to Stuart, so I'm sure you'll take plenty away from this one. We spoke about some of the main responsibilities in his role because a lot of it, when you are limited on time and resources, it comes down to priorities. So we spoke about that as well. What are some of the priorities in his program and some of the things that he utilises the time available for of his players to carry out? We spoke about some of the additions, the first additions that he made to the program as well. And then the most innovative idea that he's added to the program, because obviously with a lack of resources, lack of time, you have to be quite creative as a coach to make the most out of the program and have an impact with the players. So he spoke about that. And then we also spoke of the dream scenario that I'm I'm sure a lot of coaches would love to be able to deal, deal with is if we suddenly came up with a pot of cash, where would that go? What would be some of the priorities to the program um, if we were able to create that? So it was a really good chat with Stuart. I hope you enjoy it. Whatever level you are working at, you'll take something from this one, I am sure, with the approach that Stuart takes. So I hope you enjoy the episode and please give it a share as well. This episode comes one week after our event down at Bristol City. It was a brilliant evening. There were so many clubs represented at this event. So that was great to see. And the networking side on this event was brilliant as well. Everyone was getting really involved. I hope everyone that came to the event took plenty of contacts away, as well as all the information that was discussed in the presentations. Dave Rennie opened us up. And then we had presentations from um, Patrick Orme and Sam Cook, the sports scientist down at the club, followed by Andrew Proctor and Lewis Bins, um, a physio and therapist down at the club at Bristol. So there's some great work being done down there. It follows from when we were down there before. So we got a really nice insight into the program at the club and the facilities down there are top class as well, which is always great to see. So if you're a member of the community, those presentations will be available to watch very soon if you weren't at the event. If you're not already a member, make sure you go and check out the community because there's some brilliant content on there now available for you to watch. We don't, as of yet, have our next event confirmed, but I feel like we are very, very close to bringing you the next event. So I hope in episode 238, which is the next podcast, we will have some more details on our next event. I'm just going to do a live check on the amount of reviews that we have got on the podcast because I've been pushing for these. 
So we're up to 89. We're nudging towards the 100. We're not getting there quite as quick as what I, I wanted to. So if you listen on Apple Music, please leave us a review, a five-star with a short comment because it really does help us out. We want to get over the 100 mark at least. And then also over on Spotify, please do us a massive favor. It's really easy on Spotify. You literally just got to click the five stars. You don't have to leave any written review over on Spotify. Just literally click the five stars. Um, it does massively help out the podcast, getting guests on. We're up to 67 five-star reviews over on Spotify, so I'd love to get that over 100 as well. So please help us out if you've not done so already. Just before we get into the episode, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors. Just before I read the ad read for Good Prep, I want to massively recommend them because we've literally just had our tea as a family and we've had the pulled chicken and the Mexican pulled chicken or barbecue pulled chicken, I think it was. And both my wife and I and our kids, we all ate it and it is unbelievable. The food is so healthy. It's packed full of vegetables, some great recipes and ideas. Uh, the kids absolutely love it as well, so make sure you check it out. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and, chain- and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark, and many more. Their meals are full of nutrients you need to keep in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meals are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating. Discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com. And make sure to use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. I also mentioned, I think a couple of episodes ago, that I had the Hytro shorts coming in the post. And they have been delivered. I've had the first week of training in the shorts. I've done one recovery session, like a zone two cardio session, which was which was great. And then two hypertrophy-focused fo- parts of a workout where I used the shorts. And I've got to say, I've been using the T-shirts for a while but I really do feel the shorts are another level. Something that I know a lot of players are using now, Um, but yeah, there's some great feedback for myself on the first week of using them. Really excited to try some different protocols as well and some different exercises. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize, maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hydro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. And last but certainly not least, make sure you go and check out Rezzle and all the great work that they're doing. And I hope you enjoy episode 237 with the sports scientist at Ascot United, Stuart Britton. 
Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 237. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Stuart Britton, who's the sports scientist at Ascot United. Stuart, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Ben. Yourself? I'm good, thank you, mate. I realise that you have just rushed in, put the computer on and jumped straight onto a call. So I'm going to give you a second just to sort of settle, compose <laughs> yourself. <laughs> so, no, but I really appreciate you coming on, mate. I think it's... Um, there's going to be some pretty applicable things that we'll cover in this episode for a lot of people working at a lot of different clubs. I've just mentioned your role at Ascot, which we'll get into in a little bit, but just give us a little bit of background on yourself. Sure. So really my sort of background as an athlete, um, actually nothing to do with football. Um, I was a very big martial artist, so I was really into my taekwondo, judo, jiu-jitsu, that kind of stuff. Um, did a little bit of sort of rowing and rugby at school and then you know, eventually found my way into coaching through Taekwondo at uni. Um, after that, it's, you know, typical thing. If you finish your undergrad, you're trying to find a job. Um, doesn't always work out too well. So you go and do a master's and then you try and get some work alongside it. Um, I was fortunate enough to go and work with Notts County for that season. Um, and then that was just cut short by the pandemic, which then means you're sort of scrambling to find another alternative. And really that... You know, I had a lot of time on my hands. So let's go and have a look at non league. Let's go see what I can what I can bring to the table there. Um, got involved with eighteen seventy four Northwich, who were sort of like my local club. They were very on board, very much like you know, why have you sort of dropped down to this level in a way? Um, not that I saw it that way, but and then yeah, eventually ended up getting a full time role in healthcare. So ended up moving down south. Still wanted to keep up the coaching stuff. Ended up with Ascot. That's since, I've been with them about two seasons now, and that's since led to um, joining the Wales men's lacrosse team as their strength and conditioning coach too. So it's something that, I, you know, if you asked me five years ago where you'd end up, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have planned this, but um, here we are, having a great time with it. Brilliant, mate. Just give us a little bit of context around Ascot, because there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be a few listeners thinking, what's league are they in? What, what step are they at? So give us a little bit of context around the league and, and the setup there first. Sure. So it's the same. And actually, it was the same when I joined Northwich as well. They were both in step five of the National League system. So I think it's about the 10th tier of the total pyramid. Um, so very much non league, very much part time athletes. You know, most of the players have got full time jobs, families, other commitments and things. Um, we've got a couple of players who it, it might have been, you know, they were at an academy when they were younger, got released, never quite found their way back. So they're now playing non-league. You've got some guys who've just spent their whole career in non-league and um, very sort of old school centre-back type players, if you like. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great club to work with. We've had a fantastic season so far. Um, the goal when I first joined was always, let's try and get promoted. Happy to say we've actually done that. So we're going to be moving up to step four. Um, hit 102 points as well, which there's not many teams have since during seasons. Um, this season as well, we're in the semi-final of the League Cup. So hopefully that's another final for us. And we've actually made it to the FA Vars final for the first time in the club's history. 
So that's everyone's sort of very excited for that and very much looking forward to that big game at Wembley. Brilliant, mate. That's so good to hear. And it's it's good to see the progress that the club's making. Obviously, a great opportunity for yourself. We've had a lot of people on the podcast before working in non-league. I say a lot. We've had a, a good good amount of practitioners working in non-league. And we've spoke about the benefits before. But where do you feel that that lies for you in your career in terms of benefits of working with players that are, that are essentially part-time? Yeah, I think it's it presents a massive opportunity for developing as a practitioner. Um, it's very much throwing yourself in the deep end, getting your hands dirty from day one and picking up as much experience as you can. So particularly for, you know, guys who might still be at uni or who are not sure what kind of club or what kind of role they want to go into, get involved straight away. Um, it's, you can't necessarily rely on other people at that point. So if I've, if I've got a programming issue or an injury that I'm not sure how I'm going to work with, um, You've got to go and do that research yourself. You've got to go and learn. You're going to make mistakes along the way. That's to be expected. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, a lot of the a lot of these non-league clubs are very grateful just to have someone on board to to help carry some of that weight. Um, I mean, the season before I joined, the, the guy doing the injury rehab was basically just another coach. He didn't have a background in SNC. Um, really good at coaching youth footballers, but ultimately that was one of the big things that when I came in we had a physio join at the same time and our, our day one plan was right let's actually try and get a, an established rehab pathway in so you know day one play comes in injured okay let's go through the treatment let's go through any manual therapies let's get you back on the pitch and try to get you back into playing and in fact one of my first experiences at the club was dealing with the club captain who had had an MCL tear I think it was can't remember if it was grade one or two um, and then all of a sudden it's like, right, let's try and get him back playing. And, you know, fortunately we did it in about five, six months, didn't require surgery. Um, and later that season, he went on to captain the club in a, in the Barks and Bucks County Cup semi-final against Wickham. Scored the winning penalty for it as well. So that post is now hung up in the changing room and hung up in the dressing Brilliant. room. And he, you know, it's huge memories for these players that I think, you know, a, a lot of non-league clubs, you haven't got those kind of support or that sort of opportunity. So actually, from a practitioner point of view, it's a massive opportunity for development if, if you want to go and pursue it. And I think you certainly learn a lot from doing it by throwing yourself in at that deep end. You sort of touched on it a little bit in terms of the rehab being taken by a coach before you arrive. But what did the rest of the programme look like? Because I want to get into in a little bit some of the additions that you've made maybe some of the successes, obviously the whole success this season was strictly down to sports science support. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. <laughs> but, definitely, um, definitely not our manager awake at two in the morning. Playing out no, no, nothing to do with that. <laughs> nothing to do with that. No, um, in, all, in all seriousness, we'll get into the details in a little bit, but what did it look like before you stepped into that role? I'd say there probably wasn't too much of a programme in all honesty. Um most of your players would go through the pre-season. You'd have a couple of sort of late joiners or late transfers or registrations partway through the season. And, you know, they're just trying to get up to speed through training. Um, one of your biggest challenges of working in non-league is, and we bang on it about it in every level of football, is this fixture scheduling and fixture congestion and things. In non-league, you might start with a game every Saturday, training on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Season goes on, games get postponed. You end up playing a game on Tuesday, training Thursday, game on Saturday. You then get to the tail end of the season, like we've had for the past couple of weeks. We've got a game on Tuesday, game on Thursday, game on Saturday. <laughs> um, and uh, you know we're one of the fortunate clubs. There's there's a few I've heard of who've had something like ten games to play across twenty one days, and it, you just think it's mental. Um, yeah. 
So very much it's, you haven't got a huge amount of contact time with the players. So what you've got to try and do, I think, is either give them the edu- or give them the tools that they can go away and look after themselves and come to each game ready to compete and perform. Equally, it's trying to, for example, to give you an example, if we jumped into training on a Thursday, usually you've got half an hour or so you might be working with them. You do your physical warm-up, you do your activation, and then it's looking at trying to build some of this almost fundamental movement skills that never quite developed. Um, so it might be thing. a lot of stuff we've worked on is change of direction. A lot, you know, a lot of players experience things like groin injuries because they're not used to that many movements and they're not used to training that kind of thing. And actually suddenly you've introduced them to a Copenhagen and all of them are like, oh, hang on a minute, I can't walk the next day. <laughs> um, so really it's a lot of stuff like the high speed exposure, they're getting in matches anyway. So you, you almost don't want to overload them unless they're brand new coming into the system. Um, our manager's a big fan of Murderable, so often it's actually just trying to keep players on their feet at the end of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's very much, you haven't got a huge amount of time, so you've got to try and prioritise those key little movements and try and just develop their overall athleticism. Um, I mean, fortunately, when I, when I joined, one of the first things we were trying to bring in was using GPS monitoring, which is now starting to get there in non-league. There's a few individual players might have it, but there's not, there's a few more clubs now we're getting it. And Obviously, I can draw my experience from being at Notts County, where they've used catapult, and you know they've got they've got everything they need. They've got dedicated practitioners and analysts. You go to non-league, and then that's you. So you've really got to prove that value. You've got to say, right, okay, what does this player's game look like? What does this player's top speed? And you almost build out a profile from what what you can measure. Which, of course, when you bring that back into your rehab context, you've then actually got some almost key performance indicators that you want that player to hit before you know that actually they are ready to compete. They're back at full fitness. It's teaching a hell of a lot in terms of priority, though, isn't it? Because because you don't have the time, because you don't have the resources, it's teaching you as a practitioner to go, right, there's all these skills in this toolbox that I've got available to me. But like you mentioned with the change direction work and the groin work, what there's certain decisions that are going to have to be made to go, these have to be the priorities in this situation as well, isn't it? Because you just mentioned the injury history of the team. Mm-hmm. So that comes into play. What other factors come in for you to decide that in terms of those priorities? I think one of the big ones as well is actually just being cognizant of the fact that if they've played on a Saturday, played on a Tuesday, Thursday, they're probably going to be quite sore. And as well as that, if they're coming into a game on a Tuesday, they've likely been sat down at work all day. So actually, it's not always a case of let's try and develop your athleticism. Let's actually just try and loosen things off, go through some activation, go through some stretching and just try and get that movement quality back. Yeah. Um, and equally you look at other little bits and pieces of your recovery in that time space is, is quite short and most non-league players will probably enjoy a drink on a Saturday night and you know credit to them they've earned it um, but then it's thinking that right are you then compromising your recovery is there anything we can then look to you know you want to try and hit your key pillars of sleep hydration nutrition and a lot of those factors are out of your control so the best you can almost do is just give them that education check in on them see how they're getting on and for support where you can it's and often like i said it's often just getting those basics right it's not looking for all the fancy tech it's not looking for all the fancy training bits because you don't often have access to them um so actually if you can just bring in those key pillars and get the basics right that would take you 80 90 percent of the way i think so when i spoke to practitioners in the football league before and they start complaining about how many games that they're playing and 
and uh, the training load and everything. And then we, we've now got Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday with Murderball and players going out on the weekend. We've hardly mm. any sleep and little hydration. <laughs> Funny you mentioned it. At one of your network events, someone said, oh, so, you know, what, what do you do for a periodization model? And I went, you're joking, right? You're trying to have a periodization model when you're, you're barely training. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? But this is yeah. the reality of of working with players in non-league, but it gives such a good... Um, I just did think it de develops practitioners massively, doesn't it? Because then when you do step into environments that are different and different challenges, you've you've got these experiences to draw back on, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I the way I look at it is if I can run a full session with some cones, some bibs and a stopwatch, give me all your force plates, give me a full gym, we're laughing. We'll, yeah. have, we'll have a great time. It's, it's, it's almost learning to... Make make do with what you've got, and then you can always add extra to it. That's but you've got to hit the basics of the coaching first and get get that hands on experience. What was your approach to it going in? Because obviously the players haven't been used to any sort of support in terms of sports science beforehand, like you mentioned. So when you're starting to apply this, what has been the reception to the uh, from the players? I'd say in the first instance, probably a little bit mixed. Um, and I think you've got some patterns that you'll see across lots of clubs. So a lot of your veteran players who've sort of gone, oh, I've always done it this way. This has always worked for me. I'm not too keen. Fair enough. Um, yeah. You know, and you've got some guy in the mid-20s coming in saying, right, we're going to do all this. And you've been playing football for 20 years. You, you're not always going to listen to them. I, I can accept that. I can respect that. Um, a lot of the guys who've been around academy settings seem to be very keen on it because they've clearly experienced the benefits of it. They've done it before. So they're quite familiar and quite receptive to it. And then you've got a few of those players in the middle who are undecided and they kind of want to see a bit more from you. So really the way, well, the first thing I went about it was actually just try and get to know the squad, get to know their background, see what are those players like, who am I working with exactly? And then actually once you start working with some of the senior players and you can convince them and show them what your worth is, that buy-in generally filters through the squad, I think. Um, you start to get a little bit more of, oh no, yeah, we're doing things properly at this club. And any prospective signing comes in, it's like, look, we've got got an all-weather pitch, we've got GPS units, we've got, we record every game and we've got access to like huddles analysis. You know, we're, we're trying to do things properly despite the fact we've got limited resources in a way. It's it's something that, um, I don't know if you've listened to the episodes with Damien Hughes, but he refers to cultural architects mm. in terms of in the squads, people that can have a, an impact on other people, whether that be through action and maybe doing something that they've not done before and everyone taking note or whether that be through like a captain um, trying to lead and, and push a new protocol or method of training onto people. And I think essentially that's what you've talked about there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's it, it was interesting because when I sort of first joined, speaking to the coach I worked under at Knotts, um, a guy called Eric Svensson, and he basically said, look, every football squad has got the same personality, isn't it? So as soon as you yeah. can work out which player is like a player you've worked with before, you're laughing. It's it's easy at that point. Yeah, um, you, you learn those sort of how to communicate with certain players. You know when to push them, when to leave them alone. Um, and, and ultimately, I mean, it, it's their decision at the end of the day. If they see other people are buying into the sport of science and progressing past them, their competitive edge will kick in, and they'll suddenly come looking to you for any help they can get. <laughs> yeah, and that's when you know you're onto a bit of a win with it, isn't it? When they do start seeking out and asking questions, mm. I think that's always a good sign. In terms of that education, because you said before, there's you have to somewhat empower players to go away and look after themselves in terms of hydration, nutrition, mm. maybe strength training, recovery, and everything that they're going to be doing away from the club. 
how do you go about that? Do you make them just accessible to you or are you doing any sort of presentation to them? What what does that look like? Mostly looks like a very, I, I've always said I'm a, a very open door coach. Um, I want people to come and speak to me. I'll go and speak to you. And it's, you pick up almost a bit of a sense of looking at certain players and going, actually, you you seem like you're a little bit tired or you seem like something's bothering you. And actually just open up the questions and yeah, everything all right? Yeah, busy time at work. And as soon as you start to get to know them as a person, it's a little bit easier to then work out what they might be missing or what they might need. Yeah. Um, possibly, a bit, and it, again, this is something where actually since I've joined the Wales lacrosse setup, it's something that we've looked at as well. Um, under Under their sort of tournament, blocks i guess you might be at a tournament for seven days eight days and you might have five games in that space you might have a two-week tournament you've got seven eight nine games in that space and it your recovery becomes really important from the minute that game finishes you've got to start looking forward to the next one in that case that was a lot of presentations because it you know you've got athletes all over the place so you have to go through things like zoom or use the monthly check and say right here's what we're looking at um let's try and create an athlete dashboard what did you know, give us your responses there. How are you feeling? Try and check in with players on a one-to-one basis. Um, Ascot has very much been, and it helps that we've got a great physio as well. He will always sort of talk players through the injury, talk them through what he thinks they need to do. And then he'll say, right, go and speak to Stu. He'll sort you out. He'll tell you what to do next. And it's, like I said, from the beginning, it's building up that pathway where actually the players can see that if I do get injured or I do come back unfit, I know how to get back to this first team. Yeah, no, Definitely. We've, t- we've touched on some of the additions that you've made to the programme. What do you think has been the most successful so far? I think actually just bringing a sense of professionalism to it has made a huge difference. Um, it's it's quite easy, I think, to see non-league as a lot of fun and just, you know, obviously we want to push for promotion. If we get a good winning streak, great, we'll go on it. But trying, just trying to do things the right way has a massive effect on player recruitment, player retention. Um, and credit to the manager he's he's created a squad here who are very much enjoying what they're doing it's a great atmosphere around the club and actually everyone's bought in everyone's put in the same direction um, on, on a sort of more personal note I love using the GPS side of it even if some of the players won't thank me for it because actually it gives us that data driven approach it means we can actually make decisions based on what a player's game looks like it makes programming a lot easier for them because you know what sort of metrics they're capable of um, and I've had a couple of players in the build-up to the final have said, well, actually, you know, I've got six weeks, eight weeks to get in the best shape of my life because I want to be in that starting lineup. Can you? Can we have a chat about that? And you start to build up a programme of, okay, here's what you're going to do in the recovery between or following the last couple of games of the season. Um, here's what we're going to do on those off-season to maintain a little bit of strength and power work in the gym. Here's what we're going to do and here's the speeds I want you hitting in the running just in case we haven't got a training session for whatever reason or there's other stuff gets in the way. And it's piecing together all those little little you know basics that actually are going to work for them i just want to give this quick shout out to our online community we've had a number of different practitioners sign up recently from leeds united hartlepool bromley maccabi tel aviv rochdale west brom malmo aberdeen kerry newport county and loads of other teams as well so it's a great place to connect with practitioners right across the world you also get access to the incredible information, the content that's available on there. We've got over 100 presentation and webinars from our networking events right around the UK and also a number of webinars as well from different practitioners on different topics. The good news is if you're not already a community member, go to footballfitfed.com 
click the community tab, sign yourself up there, and you can get one month free on the community. After the free month, once you become a full member, it's only £4.99 per month. You also get access to our members WhatsApp group where there's some brilliant discussions that go down. There's also a few job opportunities that come um, across in the community WhatsApp group as well. So make sure you go and check it out. If you're not already a member, do it now. Pause the podcast, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Stuart Britton. Yeah, brilliant. No, that's it's that buy-in is really important, isn't it? And regardless of um, facilities and um, the, the sort of equipment that you have available, that that comes down to that buy-in from the player that they're obviously wanting to they're, they're wanting to progress, aren't they? And they're wanting to utilize what you've got available to you. Yeah, and it's like we said before, there's a lot of non-league clubs where your physio will just be another coach who happens to have a first aid kit. It's, yeah. By doing things the right way, the players will buy into it straight away because they trust that actually you're there to look after them. Um, even if they don't thank me during pre-season running, but I am there to do it in their interests. It's no, it's it, it's a great club and it's it's been a great last two the last two years have been great for us, really. And it's we're now starting to see the benefits of all that sort of hard work and the, the professional approach to it. I know speaking with a lot of other coaches in non-league, whether it was been on the podcast or elsewhere that there's a lot of great innovative ideas, approaches that coaches make in this similar sort of scenario because they might not have the funds available to um, to fund certain bits of kit or whatever it is, or even staff members. And they, they're utilising things amazingly. And here are some great ideas. Is there anything that springs out from you, Stuart, in terms of innovation? I'd say possibly, well, the, the one I keep sort of coming back to is that data-driven approach and just trying to give you sense, that sense of accountability. Um, it's very easy then to turn around to a player and say, well, everyone else has won their GPS best. Did you always get lost between the dressing room and the pitch? Or, <laughs> I think, yeah, it, it's. I, I wouldn't have said there's anything too innovative short of just tightening up a few loose screws. I think it's, you know, now our warm-ups are very, they're very structured. They're very sort of, right, you've got 10 minutes to do this. We've got five minutes into this. We're into this. It's tightening everything up a little bit more just so that everything flows smoothly. Everything works coherently. I think there's there's not really anything too innovative, I would have said. It's just getting the basics right and getting, keep, <laughs> keep doing them. And what about moving into next season? Because obviously the club going up, hopefully, fingers crossed, polishing off the uh, cup final and all the rest of it. But they're moving into a new season. As a practitioner, from your perspective, what are you looking at thinking we could change that for next season or we could progress that? I think so far we've we've sort of proved this season that we, we could compete at the step four level. I think we've, we've definitely got the talent in the squad to be able to do that. Um, and I'm conscious that of the fact that at times we have relied on a few players. So, for example, our first choice striker has played about 49 games this season, I think. He's scored 45, 46 goals. <laughs> And at times you've looked at him and gone, yeah, you need a break, but also you, you've scored two goals. So it's, it's hard to challenge that decision. Um, yeah. I think to an extent is we're trying to still, again, we're going to maybe see a bit of a shift where actually we can take the conditioning a little bit more seriously. We can try and get a bit more group recovery. Um, and personally, I'd love to get a little bit more contact time with players if, if possible, even if it's a case of a couple of them come down a little bit early before training or after training, the reserve or the players who aren't around the squad so far just keep just keep topping up that conditioning, keep topping up that work so that actually we can 
afford to rotate the players and not worry about sharpness, not worry about fitness or, or players making mistakes. Um, you've got such a high turnover of players in non-league that it's you have to work very quickly to sort of build that rapport and get a player up to speed um, and then try and convince them to hang around, which, you know, fortunately when you're having a successful season, it's quite easy to get them to stick around. But yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's those sort of little bits and pieces. I'd love to bring in just a little bit more strength work, tidy up a little bit of the gym stuff because um, we haven't actually got a gym on site at the minute. Um, so again, if we can just sort of take a, not control, but tighten up a few things that they're doing away from the club, I think really that will allow us to push on. Um, you know, we, we want to keep climbing as high as we can. So we've just got to keep trying to find those little ways of improving. I'm going to take you to dreamland now. <laughs> if, if, the, if the owner walks in with a pot of cash, Go, Stuart. We want to really invest in in sports science. We want to give you this part of cash to go and purchase whatever kit you want, staff members, whatever it is. What would be maybe three your top three in terms of priority? I think without a doubt, I'd want a gym in place and not anything fancy. A couple of squat racks. No, you've got you've got cash. You can have, you can have whatever you want. I, I'm a very modest man, Ben. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have that. That's just a full gym setup where, you, you know, you walk in, you think, yeah, I know I'm here to train and work hard. I know I'm here to compete. Um, I'm sure our physio would thank me if we could get a slightly better physio room as well. Um, <laughs> we, we, work, we work very closely together. We've brought in a new sports therapist as well. Um, and I think that's ultimately going to help with a lot of the recovery and the, the pregame preparations as well. So actually just having a little bit of a bigger space where we can all work together a little bit more closely rather than sort of climbing over each other to get through the door would be would be helpful. Um yeah, and, and I think that you know I'd be I'd be happy with just that. <laughs> but Go on, you got uh, one more. You got one more. One more. Um Go on, if we're throwing it in there, I'll take a couple of four stacks just because I've not had a huge amount of experience with them. So yeah, let's play around with them and see what we can what I can learn from it. And would that be just in terms of monitoring? Would that be you'd be looking at maybe some um like sort of readiness or just testing in general? I think all of the above, really. I know I know yeah. I, saw, I saw a thing a while back that um Rangers, I think it was, were doing a lot of um, hamstring eccentric stuff and like doing Nordics pre and post game to almost work out as their sort of fatigue index if you like um, and, and I've not had a huge amount of exposure to stuff like forest plate so actually getting my hands on a new bit of kit where I can play around with it and learn learn more and it's just another tool in the toolbox I think that you get, you've given me infinite money at this point yeah great <laughs> let's, let's go and have some fun with it <laughs> four stacks if you're listening free free four <laughs> stacks to, to shoot please um, no I think it's it's Obviously, it's a discussion that's up in the up in the sky, isn't it? And it's all down mm-hmm. to um, funds and financials and stuff. But I think it's important to discuss things like that as well because it opens up your mind in terms of where the program p- could potentially go as well, doesn't it? And you, as a practitioner, have obviously put a hell of a lot into the program without that. And you, we've talked about priorities, and that that has to, regardless of what club you're at, what club you're at, and what situation you're in. There's always going to be priorities, isn't there, that you want within your program? But at the same time, a lot of coaches are always going to want something else and more as well. Yeah, yeah. And if it's again, it's you're always looking for that fine margin or that that little thing that will get you over the line and help you beat any other team. And it's I think it's quite cyclical in that you watch any team who starts doing well, you start sort of copying their methods until some other team starts winning, and then you start copying their methods and it's just around about the same ideas. <laughs> but yeah. Um yeah, I mean, and certainly 
one of the interesting things I've noticed is that you've got a slightly, it, it very much depends on the club because you'll have some where it's the manager is quite happy, quite fixed in their ways and they say, right, yeah, this is what we want to do. This is what we've done and it always works. Let's stick to it. You've got your other managers who are a bit more like, okay, well, we've brought in this sports artist. We've brought in an S&C coach. Let's, let's give them the chance to sort of flourish with it. Um, and I think, you know, if, especially if you're a learning, if you're a new practitioner and you're coming into it, having a manager that will give you that opportunity to try things is, is brilliant. Like, you know, you couldn't ask for any more when you're trying to learn your craft and, and develop as a, as, as a practitioner, really. And, and you in that environment as well, because you'd have seen it at, at North County that it's still, you still can test things out at that sort of level, but obviously there's a lot more at stake, isn't there? The higher you go up. So to, to be in that position, and I think it's it's for young coaches, maybe less experienced coaches, but also for, for other coaches as well, isn't it? To go and think, these are some things I, I, I would like to try and put in place. Not only it's perfect to go and, to go and test that out, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's potentially high reward and potentially low risk. Yeah. Um, you know, some of your players will be quite happy for the fact that you're just trying something new, that it's something that they've not been exposed to. Um, you know, let's take the example. If we brought in a load of four stacks, there'd instantly be a couple of players going, oh, what's this do then? Oh, okay, how, what can we do with this? How can I develop? How can I get better off it? Um, so, yeah, it, it's really go, go and get involved and get that experience. I think it's it's great to just test out new things and it's try new drills and you know if it doesn't work okay right let's go let's go back to the drawing board let's rethink that and let's try it again next session you've you've got that flexibility to be able to do that whereas if you've got a very structured sort of periodized program you, you almost don't want to deviate too far away from it and you you might have to adapt to whatever your manager says in terms of right this game is suddenly much more important than we thought it was nothing can go wrong here kind of thing yeah I think with what you mentioned about, I know we're using four stacks as the example, but bringing, bringing a bit of kit in like that, that could potentially as well, players in that sort of part-time environment, it could potentially give them a little bit more feedback on taking more, um, I can't really think of the word, but putting more power in their court in terms of what they do away from the club as well, couldn't it? Because it's yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. you're going to come in, you're going to get tested, we're going to have a look at readiness for you to perform, and what could you be doing to improve that? It's just like another data set to prove to players that you need to be doing this stuff, it's important, and you're ready to play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even with the GPS stuff, now after the game, you've usually got a few players who say, oh, are the stats up yet? Can I, you know, who, who was taught, what, what did I do? Yeah. And it, it, as a player in developing, if you've not been exposed to that before, you, you want to know how, how you're performing. How does that step up? Particularly if you're potentially in competition for a place, you want to know what you look like compared to the guys next to you. You're all a team, you're all working together, but let's be honest, you want to be a little bit selfish because you want to be in that starting lineup every week, don't you? So it's 100%, yeah. a little bit more competition, especially, I love it when, you know, we might be doing a warm-up, we might be doing a few races and you've got players arguing over who's fastest and you're going, I've got all the numbers up here, I know who's fastest. <laughs> <laughs> you can't argue with the data. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, some, some great, um, great insight, great information. I want to move on to the, the quick fire questions that we finished the podcast with. A little bit more around you and your career, starting with who've been some of the biggest influences on your career? You know, I was actually thinking about this on the train home because it's, it's one that, it, it is quite a difficult question to answer, I think, because I, I've, again, coming from a sort of martial arts background, I've, I've found a lot of that side of things very interesting. And I think you don't necessarily want to stick yourself in, you don't want to stick yourself in one sport because you're already going to learn what those guys do. Yeah. So I'd say probably, you know, someone like James Langford, who used to be the 
uh, S&C coach for GB Taekwondo. Some of the stuff he does, again, is it seems very simple, but very effective. Mm. Um, equally, I'd say probably more away from sport, but more in terms of just as a practitioner. Someone like Lane Norton is um, he's a nutritionist, powerlifter. He's, he's got a very no-nonsense approach to cutting through a lot of the myths and things that you see from you know, almost like fear-mongering, or, oh, this is the best supplement you'll see in the world. Yeah, actually, here's why it's not. Here's the research. I've read it, yeah. you know. Um, and I think, actually, that helps you as a practitioner because you are going to get players will come to you and say, oh, yeah, well, I read about this, and what about this? And then it's, it's learning how you communicate that to them. Um, so, yeah, more, more of a sort of personal or communication one. But, yeah, I'd, I'd say probably he, he's up there as one of them. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, that's probably what I'd go with. No, it is a tough one, isn't it, to narrow it down to just a few people. In terms of your biggest strength as a practitioner, what would you say that is? I'm very much a sort of feedback open door policy. So after a session, I always want to know immediately, what do my athletes think of it? And equally, if my athletes are running through a session, I want them to give me feedback as well. You know, could I have communicated that differently? Could could we have changed this? Like, what didn't you like about this? I, I want that to work both ways. As a coach, you're always looking to provide either a cue or a feedback or, you know, some players, if, if they're doing well, great, feed that back to them. If they need to improve something, great, feed that back to them. But I think it's got to work both ways with a coach as well because how if you've not got somebody calling out you on your own job, you, you need that feedback to work both ways. So I'm, I'm saying that's probably, I'm, I'm very open as a listener. I'm very open to feedback on, how are we doing, basically? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's really important. If you were to give advice to a younger Stuart, career advice, that is. What, <laughs> I was going to say, there's definitely some things there. <laughs> <laughs> we will leave the personal side out of it. But career advice, what would that be? I'd probably just relax. Just relax. It's all going to work itself out. You're doing trust in yourself and just go and create those opportunities. If, if you particularly in an industry that's as competitive as this, you, you're going to get a lot of disappointment with you got close to this job, but not quite, or you never heard back from this or you've, you've applied for it. Take your time, relax, go and create your own opportunities, go and look for those other opportunities that are going to make you better. And if they're not available, you're going to make them yourself. Yeah. That's great advice. Not just for yourself, but for other mm. people as well. Um, this is an interesting one that I always like to ask in terms of CPD and your approach right now. So you as a practitioner continually improving and developing, how do you go about that in terms of like what resources do you use? Like have you, it doesn't necessarily need to be courses. It could be courses. What sort of things do you look at? I think anything and everything. I, I'm very much someone who just loves learning. Um, as soon as you give me a new topic, I, I want to know all about it. As soon as I hear somebody else talking about a topic, it makes me think, oh, actually, I know nothing. I need to go learn about this now. So, you know, CPD is a massive one for me. And at the minute, sort of juggling a few different roles, it, it might be a case of when I went to lacrosse, for example, it's let's look at the research. What does that say? What does the game look like? Let's watch footage. What does the game like look like? What are the common challenges? What are the demands? What does the player need to do? It's, I think, don't be afraid to look around multiple sources for CPD. And, and some of them are, are going to be very let's say probably not traditional in a way like you might jump on instagram or social media you might go to a network event and just chatting to people you'll come up with ideas um you'll find new bits and pieces that, that it, it's a little bit more interesting when you learn from somebody else's experience rather than just reading journal after journal or magazine or newspaper or i think yeah don't be afraid to sort of cast your net wide and just have a look at things that interest you um even if they're far removed from 
a sport field, there's probably still something in there you can bring into your own practice. Um, one of the books I always recommend to people is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Nothing to do with sport, but great to do with development as a person, great to develop some of that buy-in and actually get a player to follow a program. You know, um, you know, make, how do you build that habit? That's it's something that you're not really going to get taught on a uni course, but it's something that is massively applicable to what you do as a practitioner. Just to add on to that, in terms of when you are, I'm thinking more social media now. We get, well, yeah, I suppose with certain books as well, because Atomic Habits has got to be in, in my top three. Definitely mm. in my top three. So definitely recommend people to read it if you've not read it. But in terms of like, a, I can't think of any other way of describing it apart from a bullshit meter when you are going <laughs> through information, especially on socials, but even in books and resources, how do you keep like a critical approach and i don't necessarily mean that in a bad way i just mean that when you read something you're not just believing everything you're sort of critically analyzing it and taking what you then can from it i think as any coach you'll you'll naturally want to gravitate stuff that you agree with because it sort of reinforces your biases which is why i think it's almost more important to go and read something that you don't agree with at all or something you know nothing about because it's going to challenge what you already know yeah. And then actually you start to, the more you read about it, the more well-rounded that opinion becomes and actually you, you become better at defending your own practice. Um, you'll see a couple of coaches will say things like, oh, well, why have you got that exercise in, in your program? So, well, you know, you, need, you then need to think about it and it can't just be, oh, well, I like squats. It's like, think a little bit more broadly about it. Okay, well, this person doesn't barbell back squat. What else can you do? Why, why wouldn't you do this instead? And it just makes you think a little bit more as a practitioner. It's not a... You're not challenging someone to be difficult. You're, you're challenging them to test them and see, you know, do they actually know their stuff? It's let's filter through that bullshit beat. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Love that answer. Stuart, that's brilliant, mate. Really, really good. Um, I hope you enjoyed coming on and discussing that. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that take a lot from it because we do have, we get a fair few messages from people talking about the episodes with coaches in non-league. I think it's very, like I said before, very applicable to a lot of people. Um, if people want to reach out and they maybe want to jump on any part of this conversation and extend it further with yourself, where would you direct them? Probably say my Twitter on most responsive on. Um, that's S underscore Britain 24. Um, drop me a message on LinkedIn. I'll always reply to that. I'm trying to get a bit better with Instagram, but <laughs> that has never been my sort of thing to brag about things. Um, so strength coach Stu is probably the one on that to go for. Perfect, mate. And what day is the final? Sunday the 21st of May Wembley Stadium non-league finals day uh, FA Vars followed by the FA Trophy amazing everyone listening make sure you're supporting Ascot look out for Stuart on telly hopefully celebrate tickets are available there you go (laughs) Uh, you have a full stadium now mate after that Um, no all the best for it mate well first of all congratulations on the season so far but also all the best in the final and um, yeah keep up the great work Yeah, really appreciate it, Ben. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed chatting with Stuart. It was great to have him on. Like I said at the start, I thoroughly enjoy speaking to coaches right across the different levels in football. I think there's takeaways from absolutely everyone that you speak to, and I hope you took plenty away from this one. I think the first thing um, to talk about is the fact that the the huge opportunities available in non-league, which you spoke about a number of different times before, but for practitioners at different levels as well, or different experience levels, because it wasn't long ago we had Rainer on the podcast, from who's now at Utrecht. He spoke about, he got to a point in his career where he felt like he needed to go and 
test out a few different methods and different ways of working. So you went down a few levels to test that out. You'll obviously have coaches at the start of their career that want to just pick up any sort of experience that might go and work in non-league as well. And then you also hear of, I'll give a big shout out to Owen Jackson, obviously Wrexham getting promoted and all the success that they're having. It wasn't that long ago that we did a podcast about working in non-league. So there's different ways of utilising um, the jobs and opportunities available at non-league clubs. And it's just a great place to work and test yourself as a practitioner. I think another thing that jumped out, we spoke about um, Stuart sort of described the use of cultural architects, which is a phrase I've stolen straight off Damien Hughes. But it's really important because when you're trying to add something new into a program, it might seem quite strange and um, players might not accept it straight away. But if you can get a bit of buy-in from a few players, especially these cultural architect types that people are going to take notice of, whether that's a captain or whether that's just a big personality, it's definitely a good way of working to um, change the culture within the squad. Knowing your players is super important as well. It's something that we've spoke about a lot. We've spoke about it in terms of um, managing fatigue, like around injury, knowing players and not just knowing the player as a player, but knowing the player as a person as well. What do you know about them? What could you talk to them about that isn't anything to do with football or, or performance? you should probably have a fair few things that you should chat about. I remember um, David O'Connor speaking about the Netflix test. What do they watch on Netflix? Quite a simple one, but yeah, a really good one from David. And then also creating opportunities for yourself. There's a lot of opportunities out there, but they're not always going to come and land on your lap. It's a case of going out there, being proactive, putting yourself out there, approaching clubs. You might get a hundred no's for one yes. That's just what you've got to do offer your services and I've said this before don't just offer your services that you'll just go and work for free or whatever it's going to be to pick up experience think about what you can actually offer to that club or that or that set of coaches in that position because even if you're not the most um, experienced coach in the world you'll have certain skill sets that they'll be able to benefit from from you so you need to think about that. You need to think about that. And you need to also mention that when you're reaching out to different places. But there are plenty of opportunities out there. But don't expect them just to come in on your email and land on your lap because that's not going to happen. You need to go out and work for them. And that's what people like Stuart have gone and done. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please help us out. And I ask for your help on not too many things, but I do on this. Our sponsors make this podcast run. So please at least go and give them a follow. Good Prep, Rezzle and Hytro. But also check out the amazing work that they're doing. Good Prep in um, food prep. If you're looking for prepped meals for your players or even for yourself and your family, go and check them out. Hytro doing some incredible work in blood flow restriction training and also Rezzle doing some brilliant work in virtual reality um, and yeah, go and check all of them out. They're all available on social media. Give them some support, show them some love. I really would appreciate it. Last but not least, if you've not already left us a review, please do that on Apple Music or on Spotify. I really appreciate that, and I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I'll speak to you again in episode 238. <laughs>